everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about rehumanizing people. Now I want to start off by saying that along with diversity in all its forms, respecting the people around us and in our lives as people is extremely important to me. And I hope, if you don't already see that, by the end of this show, you will see why it's important to you. Not only is it just basic human decency, if you expect to find the best solutions and outpace your competition, it's vital. And not only that, as social media and other channels make it easier to see into companies, the way employees are treated and customers are viewed is becoming easier and easier to see. And, you know, I have to say that the slow dehumanizing of people is something that's been going on for decades, but that doesn't make it right. I used to actually work for a company that was in a building old enough to still have a personnel sign over the door of human resources. And I mentioned this to my dad and he said, yeah, that was back when people were still people. Now we're just essentially disposable tools. Now, he was pretty much mid-career at that point, and I felt like that was where his jadedness came from. But it was actually pretty soon after I got into the work world myself that I started to see what he was talking about. Whether it's our colleagues or our customers, the lack of respect people show and many times accept simply astounds me. Now, Brene Brown talked about it in her blog when she wrote that Dehumanizing others is the process by which we become accepting of violations against our human nature, the human spirit, and, for many of us, violations against the central tenets of our faith. Now, if you're not familiar with Brene Brown, she is a researcher who studies leadership and behavior, including shame and things like that, so psychology. I recommend checking out her TED Talk, and now she's got a Netflix special. And she also has a ton of books, so if you're interested in any of these subjects, I'm sure she's written about it. But what Brene is saying, in essence, is we speak about people in terms that go against who we are. Worse, we speak differently at home than we do at work. And so we actually miss the connection that what we do at work affects the people at home. I mean, you wouldn't talk to your children about being resources or saying that we need to clean the house, so we need to throw all, the, all our resources on this project. You say, hey, everybody, we need to clean up the house. Isn't that true? I mean, you don't talk about your children as assets. But I do have a friend who speaks about her employees as human capital. When she's at home or with her friends, she has the utmost respect for everybody. It makes me wonder if she's actually just kind of putting on an act when she's at home. But what she misses is that the people on her team are people. It's as if she walks through the door at her office and those people transform into tools or devices. And then when she goes home, everybody transforms back into people somehow. But none of this happened overnight. Now, the obvious and, quite frankly, atrocious examples in our history and culture aside, I want to explore some of the more subtle examples, especially in our corporate culture. Now, bear in mind that, uh, and something I learned recently as well, is that corporations are actually legally responsible 
for putting their shareholders value first. And so there is a foundation there, but that doesn't really explain the language that we've started using about people in the last few, I would say 30, 40 years. After all, I believe it starts with the subtle. We get used to that subtle thing and build from there. Over time, dehumanizing words just become part of our lexicon, and we forget to call each other by more humane terms. I mean, you can see it in the way we talk about the people who work with us, are buying from us, and even living next door. That increasingly makes it more acceptable to see them as tools, or actually, as comedian Stephen Wright said, background for our lives. And I find this all kind of odd. We're happy to give machines and AI chatbots human names and faces, while we continue to dehumanize the people around us, especially the people using the AI chatbots. And as I touched on, you can see it in the way we talk about the people we work with as resources, which could refer to office supplies or people. And think about it. Do you feel like a person when someone refers to you as a resource? Does that feel good, or does it feel like it discounts your value, your basic value as a person? I was actually in an interview recently when uh, the interviewer talked about putting me on a project as we need to put more resources on that, so I think you'd be a really good fit for that. I don't really feel like I'm a good fit for a company that continues to refer to me as a resource and doesn't see me as a valuable person. To me, that says you see me as an interchangeable part, and uh, my time here is limited. But we also talk about people as assets, which are little more than just valuable resources. But that could also mean money in the bank, or again, people. And if we're being honest, wouldn't people be referred to as expenses? After all, uh, I remember being constantly reminded at one company that our pay also included the costs of employing us, the tools we needed, like our computers, and even the desk we sat at. And so the message being we should be grateful that we get paid what we get paid because we're expensive to have around. Yeah, that, that really felt great to hear that. Uh, I really appreciated being told that I was a burden to the company. But in recent years, we've also gone to the term human capital, which drives me insane. I, it drives me, I can't even say that without just cringing. I, frankly, it implies that employees are little more than human, I don't know, like what, money? Uh, I get that someone is trying to convey value here. I do. I really do. But respecting someone's humanity is enough. Saying, you're valuable to the company, or, hey, you bring a lot to this company, is enough. But then we also can talk about management phrases that tend to refer to people as machines, prisoners, or plants. You know, such as asking if someone has the bandwidth, or cycles, implies that they are not much more than a machine processing work. It devalues the often complex work they are doing as nothing more than just churning out results. Or saying things like, and this one drives me crazy too, sweat the assets? I mean, quite frankly, that implies that employees are cattle to be driven harder or, or tools to be run into the ground. The callousness in that phrase is mind-boggling, and I don't even know why someone believes this is acceptable to say. Is it so difficult to show people the respect of explaining a situation and saying that we all need to work a little harder to achieve a goal or outcome? I was at one small firm where they did 
come straight out and explain the company's in trouble. We all need to start pulling a little harder and producing a little bit more to make sure that we can pull out of this. Then there are phrases like cross-pollination when talking about getting multiple teams together to share ideas, kind of inferring that people are plants or busy little bees, which I get you're trying to be cute here, but not working. Or when we talk about somebody who is thinking of leaving the company as a flight risk, only implying that they are some kind of prisoner or someone that was formerly controlled or owned by the company. Now, I get it, like I said, some of these phrases are meant to be cute and fun, but I can also recognize the lack of respect and a bit of psychopathy in the phrase sweat the assets and similar things. And quite frankly, as we teach our children at home, unintended consequences are still consequences. Come on, we learned this stuff in grade school, but in the era of social media and trial by public, the slightest out-of-context action can mean lost business or going out of business. So working hard to rehumanize people, talk about them in terms of being people, should be way more important than it seems to be. And as I was saying before, many of these terms show kind of some kind of sense of ownership or that we owe the company for the honor of employing us, which makes it easier to see people as some kind of tool, either to get something done or for profit. It shows a callous lack of empathy and understanding that there's really a give and take for both employees and the company, that employees offer something valuable and the company offers something valuable, that both employees and companies give each other an opportunity, and yet we don't seem to see that anymore. But the way we refer to employees also pours over into the way we treat the people we sell to and serve. It pours over into the way employees treat the people we sell to and serve. One example is how often we refer to people as users or frequent buyers as heavy users, which used to just be a term meant for somebody at the keyboard of a computer, that they were considered the user of the computer. All of this behavior and language only serves to build walls between the people who, ironically, need to have fewer barriers between them. You know, management's building barriers to their team. The team in, in charge of serving the customer is building barriers between them and the customer, which leaves the customer kind of holding the dirty end of the stick, being served poorly, and getting bad products. And then the company wondering why their sales are, are slumping. The funny thing is, is that at some point we are all the customer or the client, but how often do we make that connection between how we behave and speak and how the customer feels they are being treated? After all, we know when we walk into the store that employees are unhappy. I mean, they might have a smile on their face, but they can't hide their low energy. And I vividly remember walking into an office supply store to buy paper for my daughter's school project. Everyone working there gave the sense that they weren't just unhappy and demotivated. They just wanted to leave. And my wife and I felt, felt that to the point that we got our paper and got out as quickly as we could. And now we actually don't shop there anymore. And unfortunately for them, this wasn't the only one of their locations where employees were unhappy, demotivated, or actually downright rude. Now, I get it. I worked in an office supply store as a high schooler, and it definitely wasn't fun. 
but it did encourage me to get my degree and never work retail again. Although I kind of do agree with a friend of mine who said the world would probably be a kinder place if everyone got drafted into retail sales as a teen. Now, the thing about the chain of stores that I'm talking about here is that we get the sense that their corporate office doesn't respect them or care beyond the money they produce. If they put any caring, really, into their employees and tried to keep them happy, I expect their customer experience would improve and so would their sales. As it stands, this particular company just bought another company that was experiencing the same issues. But there are plenty of examples of places where employees are happy. You know, one of my favorite grocery stores is Trader Joe's. And it's not only that they have a variety of fun and unusual food, everyone working there has a genuine smile. And they treat each other like friends. So in turn, they treat us shoppers like guests in their home. Employees consistently report it is one of their best jobs they've ever had. But it all starts with a culture that sees people as people. Along with knowing when employees are not treated well, I also know when I'm basically being seen as a wallet carried around by a person. And I'm not the only one who sees this. Many of my friends, I'm sure you do too, see it when you walk into a store that you are just considered to be another sale. When my wife and I went into a highly recommended store to buy a microwave, the salesman was actively annoyed with our presence. And we didn't get any kind of real help from him, obviously. But when I complained about our experience, we got this kind of semi-mechanical response about how customers are really important to them, blah, blah, blah. I forgot to listen after that. And it's clear that they were selling by price, which, you know, come to think of it, actually, our friend did say they have great prices, but he never said they have great customer service. You're going to love it there. But the thing is, I can get low prices anywhere. I could buy online and get low prices. What I'm looking for is when I walk into a store is to be cared about and respected just at the basic level of being a person walking into the store. One of the major roadblocks to great customer experience and true product innovation is low morale, as I've just been talking about. After all, when people are unhappy, how much energy do you think they're going to put into problem solving? How passionate do you think someone you refer to as capital or a resource will be? And how passionate or interested do you think they will be in actually exploring what the customer or the people that they are serving really wants? You know, every once in a while, the general public also finds out that employees or they themselves are being referred to or treated in a dehumanizing way. And then this sparks an outcry. The company is forced to correct course and do damage control. But as much as people tend to forget, no one ever really quite believes they have truly correct that this company has truly corrected their actions. So yeah, think about Google's recent employee walkouts in protest of their poor handling of sexual harassment, diversity, military projects, and even internal retaliation. The people I talk to who actually use Google products don't really believe that this male-centric bullying culture has really changed. But unfortunately, they're actually taking this kind of, we haven't heard anything lately, so maybe it's getting better approach. So they haven't forgotten, but they're cautiously optimistic. And it, you probably have been watching too as Facebook's many privacy violations and scandals have come to surface in recent years. Not only has its usage and engagement definitely taken a hit from that, they say that there's no end in sight in the drop 
of usage and engagement. So not only have teens left for places that their parents don't go, the parents are leaving. And the people I talk to are what I would describe again as cautious about trusting them again. And the saddest irony in all the scandals is that Facebook says its mission is about building communities, but their culture didn't allow them to consider the people using the site. So you have former employees talking about how the culture has basically encouraged them to push changes out that increased engagement without considering how it would actually affect the people that they were supposed to be serving. So again, it's this kind of bullying culture. And I see this a lot in tech, and I have my theories about it based on the tech people that I've known and worked with, but I don't want to speculate here. But we can also talk about, um, and this is quite a few years ago though, when McDonald's got in hot water over a leaked memo calling frequent customers heavy users. And although they say that it's an industry term that they no longer use, to lay people that translated as essentially fat or heavy, or worse, as one person called it, big fat pig. Their response wasn't even good enough because it was essentially dismissive. And it and dismissive or poorly thought out responses show. People see that and it actually kind of makes the situation worse. So they've actually had to work really hard to kind of come out of this whole situation and all of the um, negative press that they were getting and start kind of rebuilding the company. And the irony is that it continues to happen with new company after new company, such as the recent revelations about Amazon's treatment of employees, which is another example of how people are starting to see into companies, especially as it's easier for employees to start speaking out. So transparency is more and more out of a company's control. And as people see employees being mistreated, they are more inclined to support other firms. And as employees look for new jobs, they are actually less likely to apply to companies that are going through these kinds of scandals. They see them as companies that put work first before the person, before their well-being or life balance. After all, the excitement of a fun, cool project only lasts for so long, and we all learn that pretty quickly in our careers. And as our families and our personal lives start getting more complex as we get older, the tolerance for bullshit kind of goes down, and we start leaving companies that expect long hours and basically giving our lives to the company. But the thing about all the responses to these issues is that I see a lack of real caring. And the funny thing is, is that if they cared in the first place, I doubt that they would have actually needed some kind of response in the second place. The thing is, people don't buy it. And sometimes, again, it hurts the company more than anything when people see a half-assed response or a callous response. So the question really is, if this kind of language, if dehumanizing language is so bad, then why do people do it? And I've talked to quite a few people over the years about it. To me, their answers fit in six general themes. First, they say that it feels cool and energizing. So they, they use terms that are from different industries because it sounds techy or cool. Um, some other people, especially in leadership positions, say that for them it softens tough decisions, especially about personnel issues. But still other leaders say that to them it feels like it conveys authority or it sounds more official. I've also talked to people who are kind of coming out of their first job and they say that, well, everyone did it in their first role, so um, they did it too. So it kind of, again, 
people who learned it from their first job and they just continue doing it. But I've also talked to people who say they were genuinely trying to convey how important employees are to the company with terms like asset or human capital. Um, They're just missing the empathy of seeing how those terms are being received. And so they continue on until they're corrected. Now, the one that really gets me, though, is when people actually start feeling comfortable enough to admit to me that they actually do have a complete lack of respect for the people they're talking about. Now, two people, and luckily it was only two people out of about 40 or 50, have admitted that they feel that the people, quote, below them didn't work as hard and were essentially replaceable or actually not as deserving. After all, they worked so very hard to get where they are and they did it on their own. Um, And again, dismissing the people that actually opened the doors for them and actually gave them those promotions or those roles. And actually, in all fairness, one of those people did build a company, and so he believed that he built it all on his own, again, dismissing the employees that helped him get where he is, the vendors, and essentially everybody around him that helped him get where he is. So what can you do about it? And I would say if you're in a leadership position, there are plenty of consultants who can help you with culture change, even though that can take years they're definitely going to be able to help you. But you can do a lot of things where you are. First of all, change your language. Start actively looking for ways to speak about people as people. Now, it can start off kind of clunky, such as the person at the keyboard or the people using the device. I ended up landing on the people we serve, which to me kind of reminds me that there is somebody out there that I'm serving. There's a reason for the work I'm doing beyond just getting the job done. But you can always try the standards like colleagues or coworkers or guests for the people coming through the doors at your store. But I believe that the reason some people lose empathy or respect as they climb an organization is that they have this need to feel strong or powerful. And both of those are really bad reasons to go into leadership. I think here, and I'm not being flippant here, I think a few John Maxwell books would really help in that situation. And if you're not familiar with John Maxwell, he is one of the best leadership authors out there. But the next thing you can do is talk to people. And I'm not just saying your friends and family. I'm saying meet people from other cultures, industries, and I don't like this term, but classes, but backgrounds, whatever else you can think of. And learn about them as a friend. Don't use them as some kind of resource to answer your questions about that group of people or whatever. Um, That's not why you're meeting these people. You want to learn about them as a person. What you will start to see is that people run the gamut of personalities, ambitions, interests, no matter their culture or heritage. If you don't believe it's true, start going out and meeting more people from other backgrounds and cultures, and you will find out that I'm right. Uh, and I do actually have firsthand knowledge of this. There, are, I've, I am friends with people all over the world. I have friends that are Indian or from various Asian countries, people from African countries. But I'm also saying talk to employees and colleagues and get to know them as a person, which brings up the third thing you can do, which is to learn somebody's story meaning go beyond what knowing them can do for you, beyond the job they do, beyond the clients they support. Really just listen to their story, their mindset, and their ideas. 
And you don't need team building exercises or time outside of the office for this. Just talk at work, even five minutes. Ask real questions. I've done this working with colleagues spread around the country. I've even become friends with some of the employees that were on my team in the past. It only takes, you know, a question here or there or a comment here or there while you're working on a project together to really start building a sense of who that person is. But then also get into the habit of seeing that person, whoever that person is, as someone who has a life. Remember that they are more than just the designer or the engineer or the accountant, whatever. They are more than that role. They play many roles in their lives, outside of work especially. Recognize that they have family, hobbies, and goals, and see them as a complete person as best you can, even if you don't know their story. Try and see them as a complete person before just seeing them as the customer or the employee or whatever. But then the best thing I think you can do is spread the word. And of course, there is culture change and top-down examples and stuff like that. But leading by example where you are also is important. So setting this example is something everyone should be doing. It might feel weird at first, but and really sh- you should, but you, you can explain what you're doing and why. Just And then just start doing it. Use new language that really reminds people that they are working with other people, that reminds them that they are working for somebody else's welfare and betterment, that the job that they're doing is more than just getting the job done. And as you do it, as you set the example, more people will start speaking the way you do. Now, as with most things, the more leadership responsibility you have, the more all of these comments and rules and ideas apply to you, and the more they matter. So if you want to improve the bottom line, get more customers, and improve morale, then it's time to start showing some empathy. And as you rehumanize people with the terms you use, you will better be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. You'll see the world, your products and services from their perspective, which means that you will start to see market opportunities other people are missing. And you will see ways to improve the product other people might be missing. But you will also start seeing ways to improve the customer's experience. Overall, empathy is a window to true innovation. It allows you to go beyond just making changes to seeing what people really want and what they will find valuable. If you find you're not the most empathetic person, then learn from someone who is. You might have to fake it, but honestly, as long as you know what to do and you are sincere about it, it's kind of really all that counts. In the end, that's showing somebody that you care. But to me, it shows that you care more because if you are struggling with showing empathy or being empathetic, but you're trying, then that really does show that you care enough to try. Well, I hope that you got something out of everything I was talking about today, and I sincerely hope that you start to use language that rehumanizes the people in your world. Well, anyway, I will talk to you later, and have a great day. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. 
Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play to innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play to innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.